0: The gospel according to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, is our text this morning. We're going to read a little Bible here and get into it. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And from His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. We're in the eighth week now of our meta-narrative series. we got ten weeks is what I plan to go, and so we're getting towards the tail end of this. But we're now we're through the first seven weeks looking and looking and looking and looking for the coming snake crusher. We talked about creation, and we don't have time to go through the whole overview Out there, but God creates it all. He's the author of it all. He has authority over it all. He's independent of it all. He creates it all and He says it is all very good. Very good when God creates it, which then immediately puts a problem in front of us because if God says everything is good, why, when we turn on the news, are things so terrible? Why, when we live our own lives without even watching the news, just live your existence, do so many things go wrong? Well, the fall comes in to play here. We have four acts in the meta narrative, four movements, four scenes. They are creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Those of you who've been here the whole way along with the weeks, can you say those? With the, you know those with me, right? Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. This is the thing. This is the, the redemptive history that we get the biblical narrative laid out for us in Scripture. Everything in creation is very good, but as we can tell, something has gone wrong. The world has become bent. The world has become sinful, and this is what has happened because of the fall. Now, the fall creates two big problems. The fall creates horizontal problems. It creates horizontal problems between us and other humans, and us in the world. It creates natural evil in that accidents happen. Illnesses are real. We get sick. We have ailing health. Um, All sorts of tragedies, natural disasters happen. These all happen as a result of the fall. Natural evil now exists, but also moral evil exists in this horizontal relationships. We're not nice to each other. We're hateful. We murder. We, uh, we are greedy. We, have, we are idolatrous. We are all sorts. We are jealous of each other. We have all sorts of horizontal moral evil in between all of us. The fall has creative, created massive horizontal problems. But even more difficult than that, the fall has created a vertical problem in that all of mankind now is born dead trespasses and trespasses in sin and at war enmity is the word your Bible would use sometimes at enmity at war or enemies against God and that we are born dead in trespasses and trespasses in sins. We are not born God's friends anymore. We are born in, in sinners who sin sinners who try to dethrone God. This is the state of all mankind now because of the fall. Horizontally messed up, but even worse than that, vertically we have major problems. In the midst of this fall, though, we have a a, a pinpoint of bright light. It's that that proto-euangelion, the first gospel in Genesis 3.15. In the curse of the serpent, God curses the serpent, and He says to the serpent, that the seed of the woman will crush the seed of the serpent. That he will crush your head. The seed of the woman will crush your head or bruise you in the head and you will bruise his heel. There's a promised coming snake crusher. who The serpent who deceived Eve and Adam, that, that, that's, there's, that serpent is one day going to be crushed. He's going to be bruised in the head, a fatal blow. And the one who's going to do it is going to receive a bruise. He's going to be injured. He's going to receive a bruise to his heel. And from that moment on, right, we've been looking, looking, looking. Where is this one coming? Where is he? We're looking for this coming deliverer. We find out as we have gone through this series, he's going to be the seed of Abraham. Abraham. Abraham, the father of the faith. There's going to be a descendant coming from Abraham through whom all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. The coming one is going to be a seed of Abraham. He's going to be a deliverer like Moses. And he's going to take God's people and lead them out of bondage into the promised land. He's going to be a king... In the line of David, a lion of the tribe of Judah, a king in the line of David, but a king different because his rule is going to last forever. All through the Old Testament, as we've been working through this series so far, we're just looking forward, looking forward, looking forward. When is the rescuer coming? When is this deliverer coming? And then what happens in our Bibles, we don't get it because you turn from Malachi straight over to Matthew, but there's a period of 400 years where God goes silent. God goes silent. And there's no more talk of a coming deliverer. God goes silent. The prophets go silent. God speaks no more. For 400 years, there is silence. They're not looking. They, this, they've, this, this coming one is not being mentioned anymore. Silence for 400 years. And then Matthew chapter 1, the first gospel, introduces the snake crusher. Right? Do we know who he is? We've been building up long enough. Introduces to us the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This coming Descendant of Abraham, this coming King in the line of David, Jesus Christ. The Book of the Genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. You wonder why I picked those stories out to go through. Well, evidently Matthew, writing his Gospel, picks out two very important people that the Savior, the Messiah, the Snake Crusher comes from. He's a descendant of the Son of David. He's a son of David. He's a son. Of ...of Abraham. When, who is coming to fix all this thing? Where is he, where is he coming from and when is he coming? Well, Galatians 4.4 4 tells us... ...that at just the right time... ...God sent his son to be born of a woman. 400 years they're looking and looking and looking... ...for this coming one to come. And at just the right time... ...Galatians 4.4... 4, but when the fullness of time had come... ...God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as, son, as sons. Who, Who is going to show up? I mean, we would... They're looking and looking and looking for this coming. Who's going to rise up from the depths? And there's a thought that we're, we're looking for some great person to rise up and take their place. And that is exactly what all of the Old Testament saints were doing. They're looking for this descendant to, to rise up and become this coming deliverer. But what we find out is that the, the snake crusher is not one who rises up. The snake crusher is God Himself who comes down. God Himself comes down and becomes the snake crusher that we have needed all along. The rescuer that we needed doesn't rise up just from among us. He certainly is man. He certainly has humanity about Him. But it isn't just some enlightened person like we finally got one person trained well enough to rescue us. No. God Himself comes down To rescue. God comes down to rescue. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the rescuer, becomes a man to rescue mankind. We must resist the falling into the ditches on the reality of Jesus. One ditch is we look at Jesus just as this historical Jesus, just the man Jesus. And the other ditch is to affirm just kind of spiritual, um, kind of you know, spiritualistic, eternal Jesus. The first ditch with this Jesus and his humanity emphasizes the social aspect of Jesus, taking care of the sick, taking care of the poor. Um, you know, lots of social and ethics. You know how to treat your neighbor. Very much on the humanity of Jesus, and we're going to throw away kind of all the supernatural kind of you know crazy stuff he said about being God and all of that. And we're going to emphasize humanity, Jesus. The other ditch is to come over here and just emphasize supernatural Jesus wasn't that guy you know he he performed miracles he knew the future he was you know was, what an incredible person the interesting spiritual person this was and you can get in either ditch and we want to hit right in the middle that Jesus was totally God totally God and totally man Jesus we, we use a fancy word here I apologize for using it it's called the hypostatic union Who likes that one? Anybody like that one? Hypostatic union is the theological term that we use for what happens in Jesus Christ. That we see in Jesus Christ, He's not 50% God, 50% man. He is totally God and yet totally man in one being. God... Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the God-man, the hypostatic union. He is totally God and yet totally man. God in the second person of the Trinity, God the Son from eternity past, enters into our world, is born of a virgin, and 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 incarnates, puts on flesh to rescue mankind. He's not just this human person who was interesting. And he's not just a spiritual figure who maybe didn't really exist. He just was high-minded ideals. He was God in the flesh. Indeed, he is. I shouldn't say was. He is God in the flesh. The reason why I go down that path of emphasizing him being totally God and totally man, we need Jesus. We, We need a rescuer who is different than us. And the reason why that is is because all of us are dead and trespasses and sins. We need someone alien to us. We need someone from outside to come rescue us. Because none of us born dead in trespasses and sin are ever going to be able to fulfill the righteous laws demands. We need someone from outside of us to rescue us. But at the same time, we need someone who is one of us to represent us to God. We need someone, a representative. And by definition, a representative is one from among the group. My father has to live in the area of people that he represents. He is one of the people. Jesus, we need this rescuer as a representative to be different than us. In that he's not dead in trespasses and sins, but also like us, in that he is a representative able to represent us before God. And this is who Jesus is the God man. Not an elevated man to become God, not some spiritual being who puts on some sort of flesh, the God man. Fully God and fully man. This is the declaration we see from our text this morning. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus, the God-man, is there at the very beginning of creation. In fact, all things are made through Him. Same thing Colossians tells us that in him all things were made. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 16. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He is God in the flesh. The Trinity shield that we have, Jesus is, I had on one of our bulletins, uh, Bill was calling me on it this morning, we didn't had a, had a repeat this week in our cover bulletin, but the Trinity shield was one of those we had that was, uh, we talked about God is in the center, and we have Pater, Father, Phileas, Son, and Spiritus Sanctus, Holy Spirit. And all three of these members of the Trinity are different, but all God. They're distinct, but they are all God. Jesus is distinct from the Father and the Son, yet Jesus is God. The mystery of the Trinity. Jesus is God. And this is what John 1, 1 through 5 is telling us. Jesus is God. John the Baptist bears witness about this light, and there's an announcement of his coming. But the question we begin to ask then, if Jesus is the God-man, if he's born of a virgin into this world, different from us in being God, but yet like us in being totally man, what is he going to do? What is this coming one going to do? We read on in John chapter, nine, chapter 1, verses 9-11, through 11, tells us that he's going to come into this world. God in the flesh, God is going to come into this world. The world is not going to know Him. He's going to be rejected by His own people, which is exactly what we see as we read through our Gospels. He's rejected by His own people. He, He becomes flesh, verse 14. The Word becomes flesh and dwells among us, and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The God-man is going to come, he's going to dwell among us, he's going to tabernacle among us, and what he's going to do is he's going to be full of grace and truth. From his fullness, verse 16, we read this morning, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I want to look for a moment at verse 17. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law is given through Moses. Is the law saving? Is salvation, is justification through the keeping of the law? Moses showed up with the law, said, here's all the things you have to do to be perfect. Do all of these things and you'll be saved. Is the law saving? No, the law is is crushing. Romans 4:20. I think we read it just this morning. In fact, I know we did. Romans 4:20 says it like this. says That's not right. 5:20 maybe? Yes, 5:20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The law comes in to reveal the trespass. The law is not saving. This is where Christianity parts roads with all other religions. Religion will tell you, here's what you've got to do to be all right in God's sight. Here's what you need to do. I was listening to KSOI this morning. Uh, some of those songs uh, don't have the best theology in them. I don't recommend you get your theology from the, some of the gospel songs on KSOI in the morning. Just putting that out there. Uh, some of it's flat out heresy. One of them in particular was this one, that it said uh, when he gets to heaven, he wanted, it was something about searching for little, the love of Jesus down in the bottom of your heart. And when he gets to the other side, he's going to hear God say, good job, because you found a little love in the bottom of your heart. And what that was, really, was soft law. I'm calling it soft law. There's, there's good law and there's bad law. There's good law that says do not murder. Okay, That's good law. And that's right out of this book, the Bible. But there's bad law, which are things we just kind of create out of nowhere. And it's bad law, soft law, when it says just find a little love of Jesus in the bottom of your heart, but it's still law. It's still law. It's still saying do this to measure up. Do this to measure up. And the law of, the law only comes in To crush us. The law only comes in to crush us. And the reason why I know this so well is I was a, I mean, I've known this forever, because I was a little boy who never could keep any sort of law. (laughs) I mean, if you had me, I got a few people that taught me, that were around me in school, that a law did me no good. And laws really still do me, essentially, when it comes to saving, do me no good. Even even a law like the law I hated the worst and still hate a lot, is to say, just do your best. Just do your best. That's all we want out of you. That's all God wants out of you, is just do your best. Well, does anyone here is anyone here humble and honest enough to admit I don't do my best a lot of the time. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I get distracted. And I find myself not doing my best. If the law is just do your best, I'm in trouble. We're in trouble. Any sort of a law comes in and crushes. And it's easy to paint Jesus into just another lawgiver. But what Jesus shows up and does is he doesn't give you another law. He comes with grace and truth. Jesus comes with grace and truth. Jesus is not just another lawgiver. If we paint Christ Jesus as just another lawgiver, we miss the truth that Jesus is the law fulfiller and the grace giver. He's not the lawgiver. Jesus is the law fulfiller and the grace giver. The law tells us be perfect, even its most simple messages. And we quickly find out we're not even close and are justly condemned as sinners. Justly condemned as sinners. Just try to do your best. Jesus wants you to not be as bad as the next guy. Be better than your neighbor. Both of these are bad laws and laws that ultimately will fail you. You will not try to be your best. You won't. You'll have moments you will not try to be your best. You'll, in fact, there'll be times you'll want to be your worst. There are times you will not try your best. If you're honest, you'll know that sometimes you'll start yourself because you've intentionally been your worst. And maybe you follow the law but not by not outwardly being as bad as the next guy, but inwardly you're just as wicked and covetous as the next person. We fail the laws. But Jesus, what we need and what you need this morning is not another lawgiver. You don't need me to stand up here and say, okay, we're just going to narrow it down to three things, all right? Here's three laws you've got to do. Just do these three things, and it'll all be good. Because you'll walk out these doors, and you'll fail those three things. We don't need another law giver. Jesus is not another law giver. Jesus is the law fulfiller and the grace giver. How's he going to do this? Oh, my. First Peter chapter 1. How is Jesus going to do this? How is he going to be this law fulfiller first Peter chapter one verses 22 through 25 says this that's chapter two. But you hate me get your yeah first Peter chapter two uh, 22 verses 20 through 25 he speaking of Jesus, he committed no sin. Jesus was perfect. the perfection you and I should have performed but didn't and fell short, Jesus showed up. And did. He fulfilled the law. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Did Jesus bear his own sins on the tree, on the cross? No, no. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. Jesus shows up and doesn't give us another law. He is the law fulfiller. How is He going to do this? How is He going to reconcile us? How is He going to fix this vertical problem? How is He going to fix this? First, He's going to do it by fulfilling the law's demands. Perfectly. Perfectly. The temptation in the the, the, uh, wilderness. Everything Jesus did is the fulfillment of the law. You ever wonder why Jesus went to get baptized by John the Baptist and he comes up and Jesus says it was necessary to fulfill all righteousness? Jesus was fulfilling all of God's demands perfectly. Perfectly. Jesus was without sin. He earned full communion with God. He earned the repaired vertical problem between his humanity and God by his perfect obedience. And you know what happens? He suffers. Jesus earns this perfect union between God through his righteous obedience. He suffers. How's he going to do this? First, by living perfectly. And secondly, he's going to reconcile us. He's going to rescue us by living in perfect obedience and by suffering for the unrighteous. First Peter three eighteen, just a little back. Oops, I went clear all the way back to there. First Peter chapter three. Verse 18. I'm in Peter. First Peter three eighteen. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous. It's all of us. Jesus suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That this vertical problem that we all live with, Jesus shows up, lives perfectly, dies once, suffers once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit. Jesus, the snake crusher, is going to show up and he's going to fix this vertical problem that you all have, that I have, that we all have, this vertical problem of being born dead and trespasses and sins at enmity with God. How's he going to do it? The God man's going to show up. He's going to, first of all, live righteously and earn the righteousness of God and yet going to suffer Not for his own sin, he has none. He's going to suffer for your sins. So that, but through repentance and faith in him, his righteousness becomes ours as our sin is laid upon him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who knew no sin, that is Jesus Christ, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 So now in closing, this is what God's, I mean, we're trying to gaze at the beauty of what the snake crusher has done for you. Okay, I don't want you to miss, we're a small enough crowd in here this morning, I don't want you to miss, this is is for you. This is not some grand story out there about whatever. This is for each one of us. This is what the snake crusher has done. We were dead in trespasses and sins apart from God, without hope and without God in the world, Ephesians tells us. And what happens? God comes to this earth. He's incarnate. He is born and He lives your righteous requirement and dies the penalty you deserve so that through repentance and faith, we could be reconciled back, that this vertical relationship could be restored, that you today, each one of us, can rejoice that we know God, that we have God as our Father, not because we have done something to earn it, but because God Himself has come in the person of Jesus Christ to win this for us. The rescuer has come. The rescuer has come. The rescuer has come. Which leaves us to ponder this. We don't have time for all of this, but Romans chapter 5, the uh, progressive couples were talking about this just this morning. Why? Why would God do this? Why? Romans 5, starting in verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows His love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God isn't sitting in heaven and saying, all right, climb, climb five steps and then you're close enough. No, God knows you're all, we're all laid low. God knows we're all dead in trespasses and sins. He doesn't say, pick yourself up by your bootstraps to at least two foot high. I'll take you the rest of the way. No, while well, you were dead without hope, because, we see, because of His great love, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. For us. For while we were enemies, for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. The snake crusher had no obligation to come and rescue his people. The coming seed of Abraham had no obligation to show up and rescue the nations, would be rescued through him. No obligation to do so, and yet he does because he loves. And our response, it leaves us with two questions this morning. Will we confess this is where I am? I'm laid low before a holy and righteous God. I have not lived up to his standard. I don't care how easy the law could be. I have not lived up to it. Will you confess that this morning? Will we confess I am this sinner in desperate need of the snake crusher, the offspring to show up? And will I trust that Christ has shown up and Christ has shown up for me? Christ has shown up that I could be forgiven of my sins. Christ has shown up and lived how I should have lived and died the death that I deserved so that this union with my eternal creator could be reestablished. Will you repent? Will we repent and believe this morning? That's what we do when we come to communion. This is what we do when we come to communion. Confessing this is not about me working it up. This is about what Christ has done and my faith and trust and hope in His work. Let's pray. Father, I want to rejoice. The snake crusher has come. You have come. You have done the work. You have cried to tell It is finished. The work is finished. And God, you're calling out this morning to each one of us, to me, I hear it, repent, turn from your sins, trust in the one through whom redemption and justification is found, Jesus Christ, the righteous. God, give us eyes to see it and hearts that rejoice and boast, not in what we have done, but in what Christ has done for us. Pray these things in his name, amen.